Father, we uh, would ask that you would help us to be discerning in these days in which we live. We do know that there were many widows who were in need during the time of the Bible when it was written the New Testament, and there are certainly those widows today, but there seem to be different avenues for their care. But we would ask as your disciples that you would show us how to do it biblically, how we are to care for those around us who are widows, Uh, those who lose their husbands, how we can minister to them. And we know that your word gives us direction. And so help us to pay attention to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Jesus, when he was on the cross, he gave instruction to John, the apostle John, in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. He he instructed John that his mother, Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary, would now be the ward of John the Apostle. And he said the words, uh, Behold your mother uh, to John. And and so he was transferring the responsibility of his mother, who most people believe she was a widow, that Joseph was not still around, not still alive, and that John would be taking care of her. And so our God is a God of compassion. Uh, Jesus Christ, who is here, he extended that compassion specifically to his mother and to all widows through 1 Timothy chapter 5. So Paul begins this chapter with providing instruction on how people are to be treated inside the local church, and specifically the pastor, how he is supposed to maintain a certain attitude and behavior with all members. And he talks about the old men and the young men and the old women and the young women, which encompasses really everybody except for children. And in verse 1, he says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So obviously, in the the culture of the day, these things were not necessarily true. For instance, older men, and I think this could probably get an amen, older men tend to be stubborn in their old age. Now, I have no desire to do this whatsoever, to be stubborn in my old age, because, you know, I'm I'm not quite there yet. But when we get older, we have certain attitudes and certain experiences that have formed what we believe, what we think, how we act. And we don't like to change that. We know what works and we know what doesn't work. And if some young whippersnapper comes along and tells us things need to be going in another direction, we have a tendency as older men to rebel against that. Now, to get an older man to change his behavior or attitude, it could be a monumental task because they are so stuck in their ways. But to have success, it will only be achieved by treating them with respect as one would their own father. And it's understood that you respect your father. So an older gentleman inside the church, you want to treat them with respect and exhort them, maybe in one direction or another, but never look at them condescendingly. Never do it in a patronizing way. Never say, oh, you just old codger. You know, you need to change your attitude out there. Uh, Or a curmudgeon. You know, you're just a curmudgeon. You're you're complaining about everything that is out there. And as far as men are concerned, we don't want to fall into that trap of being like that. We want to be a little more flexible, you know, because Chuck Smith used to say, blessed are the flexible for they will not be broken. And so if we can bend a little bit, it's going to be beneficial for everybody. So that's the older men. We're to treat them with respect. And younger men, 
they're to be treated as a younger brother in speaking affectionately. Now, if I was to use my own personal experience growing up with two older brothers and one younger brother in my household, it wouldn't do well for me to teach you about that because it was anything but an affectionate relationship between the brothers growing up. Now, most boys, when they're growing up, they're asserting their dominance. They're letting the other brother know what's up and their place in the household. And it usually would go down the line. The older brother would be larger for a period of time and he would dominate the younger brothers. Now, my older brothers, my oldest brother specifically, uh, tell me guys, did you used to have this? If you had an older brother, would they hold you down? Oh yeah, they hold you down or they, they kick you, they push you, they, they do all those kinds of things and that's just kind of the warfare. And then the younger brother, he gets a little bigger and guess what? He pushes back a little bit. And then the older brother realizes that maybe this is not such a good idea that I continue in this line of behavior because it could turn into a brawl. And in our household, it did. Four boys in our household. I remember a shower door being broken and, I mean, just all kinds of mayhem in the household. Balls being thrown at each other with vengeance, you know, like a baseball. And just stuff like fights, you know, fights breaking out. And my father even got us a pair of boxing gloves. And he put them on us. He said, go at it. Would you ever do that with your daughter? Here, here, sweetie, put on these boxing gloves and go hit your sister. No, it's not like that, but that's the way it was with boys growing up. And so these, these boys, these young men that would be inside the church, the older men are supposed to come to them, specifically pastors, are supposed to treat these young boys like they are younger brothers that need some guidance, need some direction, need some wisdom. And if we do that, then they will have a tendency to look up because they know that they are loved. They can respect the person who's giving them the instruction. So that's how it was supposed to work with Timothy as Paul was instructing him. Then there's the older women. Uh, Respect is the order of the day with the older women. You know, uh, younger women are given instruction when it comes to their mothers not to look poorly at them like oh, mother you don't know what you're talking about and and that disdain that can come in from the daughters towards the mothers that is something that is very common the disrespect that is there uh, I've had uh, three daughters a couple of granddaughters and you know I've seen that and they're all wonderful but we have our moments, just like the men have our moments, but where they just think, well, it's only mom and she doesn't know much. And so I'm a lot more educated now and I know a lot more. And so she needs to listen to me, that type of thing. And for pastors, that should never be the case that you're looking at an older woman and you're thinking, well, she just doesn't know the way things are. You're supposed to look at her as a mother that you would respect. And this is specifically for those in ministry, not just pastors, but I think it's good and appropriate for everyone inside the church to treat older women with respect. Now, older women can also be set in their ways, just as one would respect their own mother and the pastor and everyone else, for that matter, should respect with loving kindness. And are you going to change a woman's mind easily? Probably not. Uh, And that's why the respect needs to come in, even if they're not going to change their mind and the bible is very clear when it comes to respecting those who have years above us 
Leviticus 19.32 says, Show respect to old people. Stand up in their presence. Show respect also to your God. I am the Lord. And so if somebody comes into your house or the place that you are and they're elderly, you should stand up as a sign of respect uh, and, and just greet them. If somebody comes to our house, somebody that uh, is just a guest, whether young or old, I still stand up and I greet them. I don't just sit down, look out of the corner of my eyeball and say, oh, it's you. I, I don't do it. I stand up and I greet them. And God is telling us with the older men and women, we should respect them. Proverbs twenty three twenty two says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. And so that disrespect, especially with younger girls with their mothers, can be prevalent. And then there's the young women. Now, young women can be easily deceived, just as Eve was. And by the way, just as a side note, how old, in physical terms, do you think Eve was? Now, I know she is just like a week old or whatever when she is created, but I mean physically... If you had to assign an age to her, once God created her and said, there she is, how old do you think she might have been in a physical representation? And I've given some thought to this, or even Adam. How old, physically, do you think Adam would be represented as? Do you think he would have been like 30, the age of Christ? Or do you think he would have been more like a teenager, now, if, if I reflect back on when I was at my prime last week, <laughs> when I was at my prime, I was about 19, about 19 years old. You know, it had all the muscle, all the strength, all the attitude, all of that. It's about 19, 20, somewhere in there. And I'm thinking, well, he could have been that age teenager, late teenager, could have been all the way to 30 or so. You know, Jesus Christ, when he started his ministry, he was 30 and ended about 33. It could be, but it's just my personal preference. I think he was probably maybe a late teenager around then. That's, that's when most people are at their prime. And so a woman, especially a teenager, if you asked a man who had some experience how easy is it to deceive an older teenage girl? And most people would say, pretty easy to do that. Just because of who she is on the inside, the way that she thinks, the way God created her. And so we are supposed to make sure that we are treating young women inside the body of Christ with tremendous respect like a younger sister that a younger sister that needs protection. Now, in our day and age, that would be politically incorrect. What do you mean? A woman can't take care of herself? Well, yeah, she could if she's Ronda Rousey, uh, somebody like that. But what about somebody else? Can, can most women, young women, take care of themselves where they don't need protection out there? You know, when I was growing up, it was the man walks on the street side of the sidewalk just to protect the woman from anything that's going on. You open the door for the woman. If there's a puddle, you throw your jacket down. That's a little bit older, but we didn't have mud in the streets. But, you know, it's that type of thing. You take care of women, all women, but especially younger women because they are so vulnerable. And as a pastor, and again, as a matter for everybody else, we are to look at these younger women as sisters with having no impure motives whatsoever. 
there have been older men who have decided to help out younger women, even writing them checks. I remember one story where a guy was writing some checks to a, a younger woman in her, in her 20s, and I think he took it as, I'm going to impress her, and then he, she found a boyfriend, and he wanted the money back. And it's like, what, what were you writing the checks for in the first place to try to impress this woman? We, men are never supposed to do anything like that, older men, to impress younger women. We are to treat them with absolute purity, not to try to gain their favor for the things that we do for them. The only reason we do anything for anyone is because Christ motivates us. So the overarching attitudes and behaviors for the pastor or anyone in ministry or for anyone else as far as that is concerned is we are to have no impure motives when it comes to the care of the people in the church. We're to operate in agape love, which is self-sacrificing, not seeking to gain anything for ourselves except for the approval of Christ. And that summarizes verses 1 and 2. Then there is the treatment of the widows. It is the responsibility of family to care for widows. In verse 3, it says, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Now, this recognition means value in the Greek, or it means cold, hard cash. If there is a widow in the church and she is alone, she has no one else, it is the responsibility of the church to make sure that she is taken care of. Verse 4 says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. If you remember Jesus in Mark chapter 7, he was condemning the Jews, the Pharisees, because they were teaching that you can take money that would be devoted to your own parents and their care and you should be given that to God. And Jesus comes along and says, no way, no how. If you have money that you would want to give to the church or the synagogue, that money should go to your parents first and specifically widows and their care before you even give it to the church. And so Jesus condemned any behavior contrary to that. Verse 5, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives her pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. And so the widows who live for pleasure it doesn't mean necessarily that it is something that is illegal or immoral. Uh, there are some commentators that say, well, maybe giving themselves to prop- prostitution, that type of thing. I don't think the text really is talking about that. I think it is just saying that the woman who is a widow simply focuses on herself and the pleasures in life, pampering herself, giving herself over to good eating and good living and good drinking and just a pleasurable life for the woman who is a widow. If that is what she is doing, uh, the Lord says, no, don't put her on the care or the list of widows that need to be taken care of. Now, that is the wrong thing to do. And specifically because what will happen is the woman who is not giving herself to others and for their benefit inside the church, and she has taken all the time to pleasure herself, so to speak, with all the accoutrements of life. And uh, today, if you put it in today's terms, it would be the hair and the nails and the spas and going on vacations and eating and restaurants and doing all that and forgetting about everybody else. If she does that, then a blight or a bad name can come upon Christians in general and the church. And that way, if that is avoided, blame can be averted. 
Because the person who says that they're a Christian, the, the world is constantly looking at them saying, oh, this is how you're supposed to act? What kind of hypocrite are you? You're supposed to be sacrificial and you're not sacrificial. You're taking care of yourself. And so this instruction was to be given to everyone so that blame could be avoided. Now it goes on in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this really focuses on the man who has a widow in the household and if he chooses not to take care of that widow, he is worse than an unbeliever. An unbeliever is under judgment and condemned. And what Paul is saying is the person who does not take care of a widow in his household, whether his own mother or his mother-in-law or a grandmother, whoever it might be, he is considered worse than the person under judgment and condemned. And so this is just a railing accusation that he delivers. And he makes it more of a general statement. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, not just the widow, and that's the context that's here, but for his relatives and especially for his immediate family. This would pertain to men providing for their children and for their wives. I should say singularly, wife. Hopefully he doesn't have many wives that he's providing for, just a wife, a wife and children. In, in my book, that's the definition of a man, a man who takes on the responsibility of a woman and children, making sure that they're taken care of. That's what makes him a man. Just because he has testosterone floating through his body doesn't make him a man. It's this idea that step up and bear the responsibility. Your shoulders are wide. You're supposed to take care of these individuals that God has provided for you. And, and I have personally disdain for the, the man who sires children and then takes off and does nothing for their benefit. I think that it is necessary if a man gives birth to children and he leaves the woman, and sometimes that happens and there's no condemnation because we live in a fallen world we're all condemned for that matter it's this idea bad things happen and divorces happen but the man who then says i am not going to provide for the welfare of those children constantly going to court constantly battling saying i'm just done with this and he checks out of life that man i believe ought to be condemned he is just like the unbeliever only worse the bible says and so it's our responsibility to do that. If we bring children into the world, be responsible for those children. And that even means taking care of the woman who takes care of the children. Just because somebody decides to get divorced doesn't mean the responsibility ends to take care of the children. And that may be harsh for some because some men go into poverty. All I can say is choose wisely before you get married. And if you want to blame the woman, well, that's on your back, buddy. You know, you're the one that chose. You're the one that said, I'm walking down the aisle. And, and again, I don't mean to be like hitting the men upside the head with a sledgehammer, but this is what God asks us to do. And life is tough and it's hard and we're supposed to live a sacrificial life as a believer. Now, the unbeliever, they're going to act however they want to. And again, they're already condemned. But going on in verse 9. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of saints, 
helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Good deeds is listed twice here, but there's a list. She has to be 60, faithful in marriage, multiple good deeds, including raising good children or godly children, entertaining or providing for strangers, providing services and goods for those who are in need uh, in the body, helping out, and then solving problems for others. If a woman has done that in the church and she becomes a widow, she needs to be provided for. And Paul, is just, he's just laying out the details of this. He's being very specific. In verse 11, he goes on to say, as for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. In other words, reject them or refuse them from being on a list if they are under 60. And all these other things don't apply here. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. And most commentators believe this first pledge is they are widowed and they decide, I'm going to serve Christ for the rest of my life. And then they kind of pledge that. And then their life changes and they meet somebody that is appealing to them and they decide, well, I'm going to get married instead. And so they abandon their first pledge. So there are dangers for young widows. They desire relationships, a a companion or close friendship. And you have to to make sure that uh, you are directing them properly and not condemning them as well. And verse 13 says, besides, they get into a habit of being idle and going about from house to house. In other words, wandering from house to house. It's the young widow who says, I wonder whose house I can go to today. We'll have some tea or we'll have some coffee or whatever the drink might have been back then. And they would stop in and they'd sit down at the table and they'd have a chit-chat and it could go on for hours and hours. And it goes on to say, and not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. This is a danger for widows who are under 60 And maybe they're 30, maybe they're 40, and they're widows. They have a specific set of dangers they're supposed to avoid. And the church is supposed to be aware of these things to help avoid that type of behavior. And when they're wandering from house to house, you know, I looked up the words in the Greek here when it comes to idlers and gossip and busybodies. And there came up a couple of different words, words I hadn't heard in a long time, loquacious, have you heard that word? Loquacious and uh, pratting and also garrulous. Now, you go, what are all those words? What do they mean? Well, I'm going to give you the definitions. Given to excessive or often trivial or rambling talk, tiresomely talkative. It also says giving to talking much and with much minuteness and repetition of unimportant and trivial details. Now, for instance, uh, uh, the way a guy thinks. Now, take this carpet, for instance. I'm standing on this carpet. You look at this carpet, and most guys are going to look up at there and go, that's ah, kind of brown. Women are going to go, look at the green specks in there. It, it looks like there's a little bit of yellow and light tan, and there are details that are meaningless. I mean, you look at the carpet, he goes, it's carpet. The guy says, it's carpet. And the girl goes, no, she's feeling the colors. And they can see more colors than men. And, and, and so it just changes everything. And they like to talk about that. 
and how those colors make them feel. And it's just trivial detail. Now, this is just because women are women. But if you combine that with a widow who wants to talk and go from house to house, they end up talking about every detail of every single thing that they ever experienced in a particular situation. And they go back and forth. And then they jump to people and they start talking to people. What do you think of their hair? Well, I don't know. What do you think of their makeup? Well, I don't know. What do you think of their makeup? What about the nails? And, you know, just talking about all... Well, I don't think they should have said that in that setting. And, and they just go on and on and on. And God says, don't. Don't do that. Remember, I've used this uh, verse often where there are many words, sin is not absent. And the more you talk, the more you're going to sin. And women need to curtail how much they talk. And I know that my wife says, you talk a lot. Not even close to women. Not even close. But, but it, it, and by the way, women are relational. Men, not so much. That's why the men use monosyllabic phrases. Huh? What? Huh. That, that's how men talk. Women don't talk like that. Like, what do you mean when you say that? Give me some more details. They want details. Daddy tells me all the time. Details. I want details. Okay, I'll, I'll give her details. But it, it's kind of like this. The Olympics are on right now, right? Do you see tennis? That one guy, he, he was upset. He was going for the bronze and he didn't like the bronze. So he smashed his tennis racket into the side. Just a little petulant player that's out there. Well, imagine a tennis match. The woman is on one side and the guy is on the other side. The guy's holding the racket. He's just going like this, you know, back and forth. And the woman's on the other side and she volleys the serve. Hits it right to him. Like, talk to me, return the serve. And the guy just goes... And watch the tennis ball go by and it just stands there. And she says, aren't you going to talk to me? Aren't you going to respond? And the guy's going, what? He's not returning the volley, so to speak. And the guy has to be prompted to return the volley to engage in conversation. And the guy goes, okay, I'm going to give you details. And he gives like four details and that's not quite enough. And and, And so you see how the communication takes place? That's why women are so close because they talk about everything. Where guys, they could spend half the day together and not say 10 words between them and everything is just fine. Where the women, they can't do that. They have to feel like they are engaging the whole time. And you combine that with a widow who has nothing to do, who is engaging in pleasurable activities like the pampering of herself, that type of thing. Well, that, that you are just opening yourself up for problems. And we're given this information here in Scripture because it is a truth. Now, it, it's not to be getting down on women or anything it's men have their own problems god just decided okay well i'm going to talk about the widows right here the men they're responsible for the fall okay we'll just say that they're responsible for the fall women it's talking right here now this isn't always the case that women are the ones who are idlers and gossipers and there's a general rule that there's always an exception to the general rule. There are some men that just talk and talk and talk, and they can do that. And I understand, but the same warnings would be given to them as well. But if you had a young woman that liked to talk, what is the young man going to do? He's going to talk. Why? Because he is highly motivated. Why is he highly motivated? He wants relationship with the woman. He wants the woman. So he's going to do just about anything 
Because the woman needs to be feel like she's cared for, there's a relationship, she's loved. Even the world gets this. The world understands this. I'm going to give you a case in point. There is a song, a country song, by Chris Cagle. I want to read to you the words on this. Just a couple of stanzas. Daddy's belt, mama's drapes, standing tall in the backyard shed, looking cool in my Superman cape. I told the neighborhood girls, said, hey, y'all, watch this. My fate was a broken arm and my reward, a one-day kiss. When daddy asked me why I did it, I made him laugh out loud when I told him, because the chicks dig it. <laughs> Going on. Blacktop road, learner permit, thought I was Earnhardt driving fast, but I didn't see the ditch took out a mailbox, then a fence, then a barn. The police came and called my father, but I met the farmer's daughter. And when the judge asked me why I did it, he threw the book at me when I told him, because the chicks dig it. See, these young men, they will do, the world gets it too. The young men will do anything. They will talk to the women. They will do whatever they want. They will eat dirt so to speak, if the young woman wants them to. And then they get older, they mature, and then the guy lets the volley go by. The tennis ball just goes by. doesn't engage as much. And so the women turn to other women and they talk, especially if they're widows, and then there are problems that ensue. And God says, don't. Don't be doing that and be aware. And he says, tell the whole church this so that everybody is aware. <clears throat> Verse 14. So I counsel the younger women to marry, have children, and manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. So three things. Remarry, have more children, manage the home. That's something specific that God says that these younger widows are to do. If you do that, things are going to be fine. Now, the world would say, why does she have to do that? Why can't she just go into the world and get a career and all that? Well, she can if she wants to. But God designed the women to be nurturers. Men, not so much. Men are not nurturers. You know, my son-in-law, now there's two babies in the household. He is just spent. You know, where my daughter, I asked my wife about my daughter because she had seen her recently. She's, she looks good. She's doing fine. She's kind of up. You look at my son-in-law and he's like, he, you know, kind of comatose and tired. He's really not a nurturer, but women are built that way. That's what they're built for. Like men are built for work and labor and that type of thing. Women are built for to be nurturers. And so that's what God says. Remarry, have children, take care of the household. And that is something that is quite fulfilling uh, to the woman. And then he goes on to say, some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan because they are not doing this. They're going from home to home and they're talking and, and slandering people and gossiping and they should be remarrying, having children and managing their households. Now going on, verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. So it doesn't give this direction to the men, it gives this direction to the women. The men are supposed to provide income and give money to the woman to help uh, procure whatever the widows need. But the, the women uh, who have widows in their families, there's the one, they are the ones that are supposed to actually carry out the day-to-day -day fulfilling of the needs of the widows which are there. So when it comes to the application of all this, whether it is family or it is the church's 
responsibility as believers to care for women who have lost their husbands. As a body, we are not to allow them to become destitute. If we see somebody that is in need, <clears throat> in need of physical care, if they need rent, if they need uh, food, that type of thing, it's the job of the church. Primarily, it's the job of the individual in the family first to take care of that. And if there is no one to take care of the widow, then it's the responsibility of the church to take care of the widows. And let's face it here, Paul is um, giving instruction in the event of the death of the husband. It's talking about death and what to do as a result of a death. Now, with this, in general, for the men especially, I think it's wise to have life insurance. Because in our day and age, things that we deal with here, it's readily available. And if you die and you leave behind a wife, especially with children, and you do not have life insurance, I believe that is a neglection of duty. We are responsible for that. Even the kids, if if the parents don't have the wherewithal for that, if the kids are older, they can also take out an insurance policy. Uh, I I have insurance. Um, I've had insurance since I think our first child was born. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, It was A.L. Williams, if you remember those guys, and, and, and it's gone on from there. But I have a couple of policies. I want to make sure that my wife, if she is widowed, and by the way, just as a side note, between my wife and I, I keep on telling her that I'm praying that God will cause me to outlive her. And she transfers that in her mind to say, you're praying that God kills me first. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm praying. I'm praying that whatever your day is, that he causes me to live beyond that so that the burden that she would experience as a widow is not there. Not that he would not prolong her life. I want her life pro- prolonged. I want it long time. I just want to be a little bit longer than that to provide. And I think that that's the biblical thing that we're supposed to do. And if we have the life insurance, if I go first, she's provided for. She doesn't have to worry about that part of it. The emotional side of it, it's going to require the family coming in and friends and and just being an emotional, prayerful support for her. And, And I would say that that's good, but death is never a good thing except when we die to ourselves and live for Christ. And so we should have that type of insurance. And even the kids, the kids can take out an insurance policy on the parents or specifically on the dad. If the dad dies first, well, there's money that can go to the woman. And by the way, they have insurance policies, the return of premium that you can pay into it for years. It's almost like a savings account. You pay into it for years. And if nobody dies, by the time the life insurance policy is up, you get all this money back. But you want to save that just in case. Somebody meets their demise like the husband uh, in the family. And, and so there are lots of possibilities, but we, we're supposed to plan ahead for these things. If we do not plan ahead, then there are going to be problems. I know of a specific case where a man did not bring out um, an insurance policy for the wife. And so what the wife did was take out a loan on the house, reverse mortgage, 
And as a result of that, the reverse mortgage caused the house to be lost as an inheritance for the kids. It's like, what? Nothing was prepared for. There was no wisdom in that. And so we want to make sure we're acting in wisdom and preparing for a time since men meet their demise more early on a regular basis than women do, that we're taking care of the women, both personally and in the church. And so uh, apparently the widows were having a rough go of it in the early church. We know that in Acts chapter 6, there was an argument between the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews and how they were being overlooked in the distribution of the food. They felt the Grecian uh, widows uh, were being overlooked. And so they appointed seven men. Those were Stephen and Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. And all those guys gave themselves to taking care of the widows. And so it's very important to Jesus Christ, to God, that the widows are provided for inside the household of God, inside the church. And because of this, it says that the gospel spread. It's one of the reasons the gospel spread is because of the care of the widows inside the church. So it's a, wit- it's a witness to the world that we are caring for those who God wants us to care for, specifically the widows inside the church. Now what we're going to do at this point is Kim is going to come up and we're going to be receiving communion this morning. And she is going to play a song. And as that song is being played, just reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. He gave us all this teaching. He gave us the owner's manual. He wants us to live in a particular way. But most of all, he wants us to be with him in eternity. And that is not possible without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his blood, which was shed. And so as Kim is playing the song, you might just reach out to God and give him thanks for what he has done, how he has provided a way of salvation. And just as he has cared for the widows, he has cared for all of us. And if you need to ask forgiveness for something uh, while the song is being played, feel free to do that. It's an appropriate time to do so. And then hold on to your cup and uh, the bread until we can participate in receiving together. And just remember, we want to come up through the center, beginning with the first aisles, and then go back around to the outside and wait at your seat until the song is finished being played. So go ahead, Kim.